Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. Move on. I'm not a Philadelphia Eagles fan or a Phillies fan. So we're going to talk about the city of Kansas City. No, I'm kidding. Um, we're going to talk about Laodicea. And trust me, there is a lot in this uh, portion of speaking to the church of Laodicea that really fits our world today, uh, really fits uh, what the churches are up against and what the experiences are uh, of religion. And it's pretty amazing as I was reading this and studying this um, how it really... Uh, speaks to us that uh, of some things that we have to be careful about the Lord is talking to the church about. So the church of Laodicea, I'm going to read the um, scriptures. It's chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, and it's from verse 14 to 22. 14 to 22. And it reads, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I would say that, before I go on to verse 18, people that are in that spot, sometimes they don't even realize they're there. They are deceived, and they don't realize that they're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 18, and I I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in, in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, uh, that thou mayest see as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Verse 21, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So we're looking at the church of Laodicea, and um, I'm sure you've read these scriptures before, and you've probably heard preaching messages about Laodicea. You've probably heard uh, the word taught on this. But as I begin to dig into the scriptures, there's so much here. And matter of fact, in all the churches, there's a whole lot more in these verses than what I've actually touched on. Uh, It goes so deep. But it's all about to remind us again that the Lord, Jesus Christ, speaking to his churches and trying to explain to them uh, what they need to do 
and how that they need to um, correct some things because he loves his churches. He cares about his church. He cares about Landmark. He cares about us. So uh, it's not that he is wanting to, uh, it, well, the scripture says that he, he chastens those, uh, I rebuke and chasten, uh, but it goes on, verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He's not saying that because he's wanting to uh, destroy us. He's not saying these things because he wants us hurt. Uh, he's saying it so that we will learn and grow from these things. He wants us to grow. Uh, he wants us to be stronger in his spirit. He wants us to be faithful, um, faithful to his house, faithful to his word, faithful to prayer, communication with him, faithful in relationship. But in this story, um, there is, and we're going to talk about it, there is a there is uh, some different levels that the people of Laodicea were in. Some were hot, some were cold, and some were lukewarm. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, the character of this city, uh, we've talked about the other cities, but Laodicea, uh, as the Lord is speaking to them, he, he says, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. You see, Laodicea was in understanding this city, which it's important for us to understand the city because some of the things, the traits and the environment of the city actually uh, help us to understand why Laodicea was where it was at and the struggles that they were having. Do you realize that the environment that you're in can affect you, no matter how spiritual you are? It can affect your, your thinking. It can affect your spirit. It can affect your feelings. It can affect your emotions. It can affect your, your stance in the word of the Lord and of, of truth. Um, you have to be cautious about the environment that you allow yourself to be in. Um, uh, some environments you don't need to be in. Some environments um, can destroy your spiritual walk with God. You can backslide in certain environments. You need to allow yourself to be in an environment of godly people. Um, you know, there's great fellowship when we get together and, and uh, speak to one another and have some laughs and have a good time and talk about the word of the Lord. And We need the church. We need the body of Christ. Um, it's a good environment. The church is a good environment. Now, we can make the church a bad environment, too, if we chose to. That's not the good thing to do, by all means, but we need to thrive and strive for an environment that is godly. Uh, matter of fact, I was reading in the book of Job um, here the last few days, uh, actually last week, and, uh, of course, one of the things he said, which we've taught and preached on before, but it, it needs to be revisited, uh, he said he made a covenant with his eyes. He made a covenant with his eyes. Um, it's important for us to keep things out of our out of our mind, our soul, our spirit that can affect us. Uh, make a covenant with our eyes, with our heart. We could go further with that: with our eyes, with our heart, with our with our soul. But the eyes is kind of like the focal point where things begin to go into our spirit so and it affects us but Laodicea was an important city its environment actually 
affected the church. Uh, Laodicea was an important wealthy city. It was self-sufficient. It was significantly Jewish population. But like other cities in the region, um, it, uh, it was a center of Caesar worship, Roman worship, and the worship of, healing, of the healing god Asclepios. There was a famous temple in the city of Laodicea, and uh, it was by the same name. It was a temple to Caesar worship. Uh, also with a more famous medical school connected with the temple, they, they were very self-sufficient. They, um, they, they, matter of fact, in talking about their self-sufficiency and the wealth of this city, uh, there was at one point in the history of this Laodicean city, uh, there was an earthquake that actually hit that city and devastated the region in AD 60. Uh, Laodicea uh, was offered help for them to rebuild the city. But the spirit of the city uh, was that they refused the help of others, of the imperial help to rebuild the city. Um, they, were, they were relying upon their own way, their own wealth. They relied on their own resources to be able to rebuild the city. Um, you know, some might say, well, that's, that's a good thing. Uh, but but it, it can be a good thing if you're self-sufficient, you're able to take care of things. It's not a problem to say, okay, if you want to help, please help me. I remember when the old church building went down, I had phone calls and people were calling and saying, we. matter of fact, the high school called and uh, they said, we got a football team here that wants to come out and help you pick stuff up. And, and, and they were willing to help, and I, I was very thankful for that. Um, there was a lot of, lot of help that came along. Matter of fact, we, we got phone calls from different churches that said we could come and have church with them. Matter of fact, the first one was a Baptist pastor that called from this church building and said, you can come and have church in our building. You can use everything. They actually gave me an office down the hallway, it was a Sunday school room at one time. Um, it's now the um, um, uh, part of the nursery at the end of the hall. Um, they gave me an office. Um, uh, they would have church on Sunday morning. We had an afternoon service. They were leaving. We were coming. Uh, matter of fact, there was uh, we had a before they left and moved into their new building. We had a I don't know if you remember that. We had a, a Baptocostal church service. <laughs> uh, it was a Baptocostal church service. Their, their praise team led worship. I can't, I can't remember exactly how that went. Their praise team led worship. Our praise team led worship after them. Their pastor uh, preached uh, for a few minutes, and then I got up and preached for a few minutes. And we had a good, good time together. Matter of fact, I had uh, some members of the Baptist church come to me and say, can we do this every month? I said, yes, we can do this every month. So they were very kind to us, very helpful, and we we're very thankful for that. Uh, there's a lot of people who were trying to help us out. Uh, we needed help. Uh, we needed help financially. We needed help uh, in a lot of different ways, and, and, it, and it worked out. So, But here, here Laodicea was refusing help because they were relying on their own resources. But as I say that, 
you know, it's good that they were able to rely on their own resources, but there was a spirit behind this, too. It was a spirit that we don't need anybody. We can do it on our own. That, if we get that spirit in us as a child of God, we will get to the point where we don't need our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We don't need friends. We can do this on our own. Don't tell me what to do. We don't even, we could get to a place where we don't even need God. You don't need the church of the house, the house of God. You don't even feel like it's necessary to come to the house of the Lord. So we can lose all of that because we get so self-sufficient in ourselves that we get to the, and you might say, well, I'll never get to the point where I don't, I say I don't need God. Let me tell you, how many times have I heard that through 30 years of pastoring that I'll never do this or that, and then they end up doing this or that. I, the more you allow in your life and compromise in your life, uh, it continues to snowball and it doesn't stop. And then you're looking back and saying, how did I get here? Well, it started with the small things. The Bible says that it's the small foxes that spoil the vine. But Laodicea, was a, it was a spirit. They got to the point where they didn't really feel like they even needed God. So the church there had a lot of struggles, and the Lord was trying to deal with this. Uh, they didn't need outside help. They didn't ask for it, and they didn't want it. Laodicea was too rich to accept help from anybody, anyone. Um, the Roman historian Tactius tells us Laodicea rose from the ruins by the strength of her own resources with no help from us. That's, that's what he said. So it shows a pattern. It shows a pattern that uh, we are, we're not an island to ourselves. We need each other. We need God, most importantly. We've got to settle that in our heart and mind. Yeah, I'm an independent person. I like to do things on my own. I like to do it in the way I like it done. But you know what? I need you. You need me. We need each other. Most importantly, we need God. So it shows a pattern that they were so dependent on self that they, they, they didn't even need God. Never there is there every day that we should ever think that we don't need God. We need him every day. Matter of fact, we need his mercy, which is new every day. We need his mercy. We need his grace. We need him every day. We need to pray and seek God and say, God, direct my path for this day. We don't need to have that spirit of Laodicea or the Laodiceans uh, that we don't need one another and don't need God. We are dependent upon each other and we can help each other Bible even says and I mentioned it I think on Sunday that that um, when uh, someone's down I need to reach down and pick them up because there will be a day that I might I might be down and I need someone to help pick me up we need each other so the church of Laodicea and the Laodiceans one of the problems was also and this actually and it's really interesting because when you look at the history of Laodicea, it also ties in with what Jesus was talking to them about. And, and they could understand it because of what they were dealing with in the city. 
what did Jesus talk to them about? He said, some are hot, some are cold, some are lukewarm. He said, I'd rather for you to be hot or cold because lukewarm I'm going to spew you out, out of my mouth. One of the problems in Laodicea was a poor water supply to this city. And it made them vulnerable to attacks from, uh, from other groups that tried to come and attack the city. Being in Jerusalem, being in uh, all these little cities around Jerusalem and in Israel, um, one, I can't remember the town that it was there, but uh, this town is in, a, in the Bible. Uh, I wish I could remember the name of it, but there were walls that were around this city. Um, the enemy would come up and they would fight against the city well, the army would be up on the walls and they would shoot down at them and try to kill them. And, but they would try to scale the wall. The enemy would try to scale the wall. But in this city, um, they had uh, openings where they had they could close the, the gate and have the city walled up where nobody could get in. And they had access to water in the city. But in Laodicea, that was a problem because people could uh, come and take that city uh, and, or surround them, and they didn't have the proper water source to be able to survive in that city for a period of time. Matter of fact, this one city, um, it starts with an M. I, I can't remember the name of it. But um, they actually, it was very interesting how they did it. Some of the cities, you, you come up to the, the gates, you walk up straight up to the gate. Well, this city... You don't walk straight up to the gate. You had to walk through a maze to get to their gate. The way they designed it. So that it would give them an opportunity to be able to, if there was an enemy that was trying to come and take over the city, they would shoot them as they walked through the maze. But they also had a big pit. And it was like a cone went down into the ground. And in this pit, they would fill it up from the fields with crops or corn or uh, wheat or all these different things. So they had a big supply of food in the city if someone tried to overtake that city. They were prepared. They even had an opening that we actually walked down through into uh, several st uh, stone steps uh, down into the ground. Down a, It was like a mountain, but it was all enclosed. And we walked down to a water source down below the city. They had access to it. They even had access outside of the city, which if the enemy knew where that access was, they could have polluted the water that came into the city. But they camouflaged it, and they, they, they covered it up to where that the enemy wouldn't be able to see it. It was amazing how they, how they worked this. But Laodicea had an issue with this. They were vulnerable because of their water source. They couldn't stay in that city for a long period of time, closed up, uh, because of this very fact. So if an enemy army surrounded the city, they had, they had insufficient water supplies in the city. They had, uh, matter of fact, the supplies coming into the city could be easily cut off, and you can't survive without water for a period of time, for sure. Therefore, the leaders of Laodicea were always accommodating to any potential enemy and always wanted to negotiate and compromise instead of fight. 
So can you see the situation, the problem that came up was not just that they're going to be defeated, but because they knew that they could be defeated very easily and their water source could be blocked up, they took on that mentality that we want to compromise with them. We want to negotiate with the enemy instead of fighting and overcoming. You see how the, the environment and the situations that they were faced with in the city of Laodicea is another reason why they have this, this uh, stigma of, when you say Laodicea, what do you think of? Well, what do you think of when I say Laodicea? From the teaching and preaching or your Bible study reading, what do you think of? What's that? Lukewarm? Backsliders? Backsliders? Anybody else? I can go down a list of things I think about. Carnal, fleshly, <laughs> sinners, lukewarm, backslid. I mean, I can go down a list of things. When you, when you say Laodicea, they, you know, you got a spirit of Laodicea on you. Uh, it was not a good relationship with God. It's because of the things in their environment and in their situations that they dealt with every day, it affected their thinking. So instead of fighting against the enemy and overcoming them, they would negotiate with them. They would compromise with them. What does that say to us that we have a spirit of Laodicea in our lives? And, and uh, uh, so we, we feel like that we can't overcome the enemy. So what are you going to do? You get this mentality of compromising. If you can't beat the world and overcome the world, what do you do? You compromise. Well, that's not the right way to do it. That's not the right thing. You fight against it. And you trust God to help you overcome it. You don't negotiate with the world. You don't negotiate with sin. You don't, you don't compromise with the world and with sin. Sometimes people think it's the easier way to just, hey, compromise. Compromise. Let's all compromise. Um, I... I know that we're all human beings and we live on this earth and we need to be all be able to get along and blend together and dwell together, but there are a lot of differences. One of the greatest differences of, of people that, uh, that dig into the word and want to live by the word of the Lord is we're trying to go by everything that God wants us to abide by. We want, matter of fact, the Bible says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, not compromise my commandments, but you'll keep them. So the, the only way we can truly live for God is to follow what God has said in his word and to the best of our ability that we can do that. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. But we're striving to try to get there and to, do, to be pleasing to the Lord. We want our wedding garments when we get to that as a bride, as a church, to that wedding, we want it to be without blemish. But when the world comes in and, and, and the battle of fighting and fighting and fighting, sometimes people get to the point where they, they are tired of fighting, so they give in and compromise. And then, of course, I guess the fight's over. Really, it's not. The fight's just begun. But a lot of times people are thinking, man, I... I 
I feel peace because I'm not fighting anymore. You know why? Because you gave in to the world. You gave in to sin. You gave in to the flesh. Now you're doing whatever the flesh wants you to do. Whatever the world wants you to do. Compromise and negotiating with the world and the enemy and Satan became a problem with how they treated God in the relationship. The way they treated the situation with the enemies that were trying to overtake their city and negotiating and compromise is how they dealt with God also. They were willing to compromise their relationship with the Lord. That's the reason why the Lord said, some of you are hot, some of you are cold, some of you are lukewarm. It's because people were compromising. Some of them weren't compromising, but some of them were compromising, and some of them just quit altogether. Um, if we're not careful, our struggles and environment of life can affect our walk with God. Uh, let's look at all of our. Let's look at all of our environment and struggles of life. We all have come from different different backgrounds. We've all been on a, a journey, but our paths have been different than others. Some have probably never felt the depths of sin, but you have sin. Some have never, uh, you know, some have, have gone to the depths of sin in such a battle and struggle of life, and it's, it's affected you. Uh, some have been abused mentally, physically, sexually. I mean, there's, there's abuse that's happened. And it's affected your, your walk with God. It's affected your life. It's affected your walk with God. There, there's a lot of things in people's lives that, and, and the environment you grew up in might have been good. Some of them might have been terribly bad. Uh, you probably, some might not even know a true uh, feeling of what a, a, a loving dad is or a loving mother is. It's affected your life. Uh, but it's something you've got to get into the Word and realize that the Lord is wanting to show us how to walk a life that is pleasing to Him because there is peace there, there is joy, there is salvation there, there's hope there, there is, there, there is uh, 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 eternal life there. If we follow His way, if we compromise, we're going to lose out. We're going to lose out. But the struggles and the environment or the journey of our life has affected our walk with God also. We take that into our relationship with God. Sometimes people will say, well, <laughs> you know, I hate men or I hate women. They take that into the point where they even, they even get to the point where they think God is just like people that have hurt them. God is nothing like that. God is so much greater, so much more loving, so much more. It, the perfect love is, comes from the Lord. The perfect mercy and grace comes from the Lord. The, the perfect gentleman is God. <laughs> he, he gave his, do you know of too many people in your life or anybody at all that would actually go to a cross for you and me? No, but he did. Because he loves us beyond measure. We can't measure it. We can't gauge it. It's so powerful. His love and compassion and care for us. He cares for us. 
but some are battling the past. Maybe you've been battling the past for a long time. But God wants to heal the past. I know that I preached a message about Lazarus coming out of the tomb, and it was, uh, it, you know, it was kind of humorous in one sense that you know, I, I had a feeling that if God healed Lazarus and raised him from the dead and came out with, and they unwrapped him from the grave clothes out of the tomb, what amazing miracle. But they also said, he stinketh. Which I look at that as the stink is the residual uh, smell of the past that sometimes we battle with. If God can raise us up if we can die to our sins and repentance and we can be buried in a baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and, and, and we bury that old person, our sins are washed away and we rise to newness of life and the power of the Holy Ghost, that's a miracle and it's supernatural. We didn't do it on our own. We believed and we trusted God and we surrendered our life to the Lord and the Lord did all the rest. Through the power of repentance, we, he, we died to our old person. Through baptism, we buried the old person and we washed, we, the washing of our sins were washed away in that watery grave. We took on the name of Jesus. We received the Holy Ghost. I didn't give my, the Holy Ghost to myself. You didn't give it to yourself. God gave it to us. When we were right, ready to receive it, and we had fully repented, given our heart to the Lord, we received it. We began to speak in another tongue. There was a transformation. There was a, there was a miracle took place. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. It was a powerful experience. We, we were changed. You see, in, in our lives, um, if God can heal us and give us salvation in a supernatural way, he can also heal your past that is very hard to overcome because of the struggle of the past. Sometimes people can't forgive themselves. When God has completely forgiven them and wiped it away, you still carry the burden because you can't forgive yourself. God can heal you of that. That's the stench that keeps hanging around after we've raised from, been raised from the dead into newness of life. But the environments of our past affect us. Same thing with Laodicea. The things that they were dealing with, they needed to come to grips with those things, and that's what the Lord was trying to say to them. There's different levels that you're at, but the main water supply that came to Laodicea came, this is interesting, it came on a six-mile aqueduct from the hot springs of Hierapolis. Because the water came from hot springs, it arrived, and it says here in this article, it arrived unappetizingly lukewarm. That's one way to put it. Unappetizingly lukewarm. How many like to drink lukewarm water? Do you like it? Do you like cold, cold ice water? Would you like some right now? I know we all 
from right now? Just tempting you. I'm not trying to be mean, but I guess I am right now. Just trying to give you an illustration here. Oh. How many like hot coffee? How many like to eat, drink hot water? Do you really? Really? You know, in Japan, they do that. <laughs> it brings, they, they claim it brings a, a cleansing to your body by drinking warm water. I'm not saying hot water, but warm water. But I know uh, coffee, uh, when I drink coffee, I like it hot. And I, my wife kind of taught me this, that uh, we take our coffee cup and we turn the hot water on and uh, we get it real good and hot, put it under there and fill it up with hot water and set it over the side and let that cup get really hot. And then we pour it out when it's hot and we put it in the under the uh, coffee maker and it uh, puts hot coffee in there and it lasts longer. Matter of fact, uh, some of you can attest to this fact that uh, uh, Dad Sheets used to fix his coffee, boiling hot, and then he would take it and stick it in the microwave. Is that right? And you still do that too. Because you like it good and hot. But lukewarm, to me, I, I despise. I'd rather have it hot or rather have it cold. I prefer as far as water, cold as ice as I can get it. When I was in Haiti, they only gave you, you ask for ice, they give you two cubes. That, that just aggravated me. Um, but when I have, when I have cold water, I like, I like it cold, cold. Uh, I fill my thermos up every day to the top with all ice. And then I pour cold water over the ice. And then it stays cold all day long. And I'm drinking that cold water. I love cold water. A lot of preachers don't like to drink cold water. And I understand why, because of their vocal cords. I love cold, cold water when I'm preaching, too. Uh, I don't know, something about it. Maybe I'm like the Lord. He'd rather for it be hot or cold, not lukewarm. So the church of Laodicea um, is mentioned by Paul in somewhat unfavorable light uh, in a few scriptures. I'm just going to read one, but in Colossians 2 and 1, it says, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. I looked at that scripture, and I, I look at it in the sense that Paul realized where Laodicea was. They were in a lukewarm state. And he was fighting for them in prayer. Let me read that scripture again. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, for you. He was in conflict and fighting in prayer for Laodicea, that they would receive what they needed to receive. But this, this constant uh, negotiating with the, with the devil or flesh or the world or compromise with the world was causing a problem and Jesus didn't want it. That's the reason why he wrote the letter to the, to the city of Laodicea. But he was fighting, Paul was fighting for this city and for this church 
Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, uh, Jesus describes himself to the church at Laodicea. He said, These things says the Amen and the faithful and the true witness the beginning of the creation of God. Let me read it again. These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of God. These things talk about Jesus. These things says Amen. What, what does Amen mean? Anybody? So be it. Um, like in Psalms, you know, it's, it's got all these different things, and it says, amen, so be it. That's what it means. It says, so be it. It also means it is done. As uh, 2 Corinthians 1 and 20 says, for all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, or yes, and amen. So be it. All his promises in God is so be it, and it is done, even before we see it. Uh, Jesus is the, actually the, the, the faithful one and the true witness. He's describing himself. This is Jesus, and this was definitely a contrast to the, to the church of Laodicea faithful and a true witness um, because they were neither they were neither faithful nor true I guess we got to look at the question here tonight are we like Jesus are we faithful are we true we want to be like Jesus but we got to evaluate our own lives and consider we need to be faithful we need to be faithful to God. We need to be faithful to the house of God. We need to be faithful to the presence of God. We need to be faithful in our love for God. We need to be faithful in the word. We need to be faithful in our worship. We need to be faithful in our prayers. We need to be faithful in witnessing to souls. I mean, I can go on a list, long list of these things, but we need to be faithful and we need to be true, a true witness. We need to live for God at church and also the same at home. We need to be faithful and true. That's Jesus. Jesus was the same everywhere he went. No matter where he was, he was the same. He was the beginning and the end. He was faithful. He was true. And it goes on and says, beginning of the creation of God. And we look at the word beginning here, we think of, okay, that was in the beginning, the creation. That word beginning doesn't mean what you're thinking. Here's what it means. Beginning of the creation of God, the idea behind the word beginning comes from an ancient Greek word, arc, or arch. And it means ruler, source, or origin, or leader. The Lord was the ruler, the source, or the origin, or the leader of the creation. He created it. He is over it. He is the ruler of it. It doesn't mean the first in a certain order that it was the beginning. It meant that he was the ruler. He was over it. 
He was the creator of the all creation. This verse does not teach that Jesus was the first being created, but that he is the ruler, source, and origin of all creation. He made it. He created it. And he was telling the church of Laodicea, I am the one that has created everything. So he was trying to set up the understanding of who they were talking to. Not just anybody. He is the creator. He is God. Beside him there's no other. It has the idea of first in uh, prominence more than first in sequence. It wasn't a time frame. It was that he was the ruler, the leader. He was over it all. He created it. It's his. Revelation 3, 15 and 16, what Jesus knows about the church of Laodicea, I know there's a lot of times he would say to the churches, I know, you know, this is good, this is good, this is good. And then he said, but I know your works and I have some things against you. And this, when I read Laodicea, I, I don't see a whole lot of good that was actually there. He was trying to correct a lot of things. And the reason why he had to correct a lot of things is because Laodicea got into a mode of lukewarm, lukewarmness. They weren't hot, they weren't cold. They were lukewarm. He said, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth or spew you out of my mouth. So they were neither cold nor hot. And in this picture of lukewarmness would immediately connect with the Christians of Laodicea because the water they drank there every day was from lukewarm streams, aqueducts. You can see how their environment was affecting even their whole lives. He said, you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot. In this spiritual sense, lukewarmness is a picture of indifference and compromise. It tries, it tries to play the middle. Too hot to be cold and too cold to be hot and trying to be both things, they end up being nothing. Except to hear the words, I will vomit you or spew you out of my mouth. That lukewarmness is not where God wants us to be. Now, I realize that I've said, and, and, and it is true, God is always balanced. He's always balanced in everything. But in the sense of a spiritual walk with the Lord, He wants us hot and on fire for him. But if we're not hot and on fire for him, he would rather for you be cold because he can deal with you in that sense of being cold. It's when you're lukewarm, you don't realize how backslid your heart is. You don't realize how, how, how uh, far you are from the Lord because you have a little bit of God and you have a little bit of the world. Lukewarmness in between. So, did Jesus mean that they were essentially hot but cooled down by their apathy and self-reliance? Evidently there were. Uh, it could be both ways, actually. They, 
They could have been hot, and then they allowed compromise to come in, and they eventually ended up becoming lukewarm. I'm going to look at it in the sense of when we come to the Lord as a new convert, we're on fire for God. When you really repent of your sins, you were baptized, you received the Holy Ghost, and the power of God just shakes you, and you feel the glory of God, and you start out walking with the Lord. Uh, I remember what I told my pastor, tell me everything. I want to know everything. I want to know how to get as close to God as I can get. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was wanting more and more of God. I wanted understanding of God. When you start out that way, you need to end that way. We don't need to end this thing when the Lord comes to take us from this earth or he chooses to come in the rapture of the church and we end up trying to leave this world in a lukewarm state. The Bible says he will spew us from his mouth. That's not where he wants us to be. It's that lukewarm state that we are so deceived because we have enough of God that we feel like we're okay. But we also have a lot of corruption and compromise in our spirit, in our life, in our heart. There's nothing worse than a church or a religion that is empty or lukewarm. Um, I would have a struggle attending a church that was so dead, I, you know, I hate, hate that, but there's churches that are dead. I realized that Landmark, we, we as a church, we're, we're trying to get more of God and we still got a long way to go. I realized that. But there are churches that are very, very dead. It would drive me crazy, I'm telling you. I, I would have a hard time with that. I, I gotta have a church that's alive. Church is full of the Spirit. Church has got God moving. The power of God's Word is moving. I would have a hard time with a church that is about that deep. I had, uh, in the past, I've had people come to me and say that they had went to a church and they said that it was about that deep. It's not very deep. It was a struggle for them. We are designed as Pentecostals, of course, really, actually we're designed as human beings, that we are designed to have a move of God and to worship God. We were created to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Um, that environment is what delivers us and maintains our walk with God. Is there any soul that is harder to reach than the one that just has just enough of God that they think they have enough? Those that feel lukewarm are the hardest ones to reach, that feel like they have enough of God, that they don't even have to go to church to live for God. That's a dangerous place to be. The Bible does say, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner some is. We need to be faithful to the house of God. That's the purpose of the church, to come and connect with the Lord, hear the word, to 
absorb the word, to help ourselves grow in God. But there's the hardest soul to reach is someone that is lukewarm, that they feel like they have enough of God there, but they also have what they feel that is enough of the world there, and they've got this mixture together. They don't, first of all, they don't go together. Water and oil don't go together. They don't mix. God, enough of God and enough of the world doesn't mix. There's such a deception. The devil would rather for you to be lukewarm or anybody to be lukewarm than to be cold or to be hot. He likes for you to be lukewarm, but the Lord does not like that. Church of Laodicea exemplifies an empty religion. You see, Satan will have us any way he can get us, but his prize is for us to be lukewarm. As a lukewarm so-called Christian, far above a cold-hearted sinner, but a lukewarm Christian. You know, the lukewarm, the thing about the, the, the cold sinner, they don't influence the church, but I tell you one thing, the lukewarm people will influence the church to the wrong. It will lead people away from God, but the people that are hot can also influence the church. It's contagious. But the devil would love for us to be lukewarm. Have a little bit of God, that's okay. But deny the power thereof. He's okay with us being lukewarm. There is, uh, there, and I, I tried to find the scripture on it, and I know I've preached on it, and I've taught on this uh, before, and I could not find the scripture. I will dig it up somewhere at some point, but there was a time that Jesus went to the, to the temple, and uh, when he went into the temple, uh, this is the way it went. As I read that story, uh, he went in, and there was a man there that I took it that he had a spirit in him. And that's when Jesus walked in with authority in the spirit into the temple, this man rose up with his spirit, and he began to say to Jesus, why are you here? We were okay without you coming in our doors, because he was there, and he was Possibly uh, that spirit was there having its way in a lukewarm way, influencing people. But when Jesus walked in, his work had to stop. And he was upset about it. That spirit was upset about it. Which lets me know that when God's spirit is moving within a church, power of God and power of God's authority is moving in a church the devil can't work the devil can't work he's okay with a church that's lukewarm he's okay with Christians that are lukewarm because he can work among people's lives like that and he can influence people and and lead them down a pathway that is further and further away from God. It starts with little things and then compromise more, negotiating, okay, devil, I'll give you this. Okay, I'll compromise with this. Okay, world, I'll compromise this, this, and this. 
But you know, when it's all said and done, you're standing there trying to figure out how in the world did I walk away from God? I said I wasn't going to do it. Satan wants control, and he's okay with a church that people go to church as long as they don't get the powerful, hot, fiery, zealous move of the Spirit of God, and God moves in our lives to the point where we're set on fires, like fire shut up in our bones. Satan hates that, but God loves that. Jesus said, I, I, I wish that you were either cold or hot. What Jesus wanted to change in them and, of course, in us as landmark as much as anything is the deceptive playing of the middle, trying to please both worlds and say we still have Jesus and stay, say we're still strong in God. You need to stop and I need to stop and look at our lives. Where am I? Am I hot, am I cold, or am I lukewarm? Am I satisfied with being lukewarm? I would hope not. If Jesus is not satisfied with it, I don't want to be satisfied with it. It's by choice. It's by choice. You see where I'm going? That's what Jesus was saying to the church of Laodicea. I would rather for you to be hot, or I'd rather for you to be cold. But if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth and vomit you out of my mouth because I can't, I really am not going to deal with that. Oh, he'll keep reaching, no doubt. But here's the thing, with a sinner that's cold, he could speak to them and they know that they're a sinner and that they need God, and there can be a move in their lives of the Spirit of the Lord drawing them to Him. But it's in that lukewarm state that we are having our own way, not God's way. And we get to that point in a lukewarm state where we feel like our way is good enough. I got a little bit of God. I pray every now and then. I hear people... Uh, at times say, yeah, I pray, and I pray for all these people. But then they're living a life of sin. We could say we're Christians, but when we say we're Christians, that doesn't mean we are a Christian. Because not only do we need to speak in tongues, we need to bear fruit. The fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Amen? We need to bear fruit. So that lukewarm state is the, it's the worst place for us to ever be. That lukewarm state, because we feel like we're okay to have just a little bit of God and a little bit of the world. It's called compromise with the world and sin. But that, that playing that middle doesn't work with the Lord. Another aspect of lukewarmness as a picture of usefulness is, is like hot water heals, cold water refreshes, but lukewarm water is, is useless in a lot of purposes. The lukewarm Christian has enough of Jesus to satisfy a craving for religion, but not enough for eternal life. That was a quote. 
Think about this. The thief on the cross was cold toward the Lord. He didn't know anything about the Lord other than what he had heard. But the thief on the cross was cold toward the Lord, toward Jesus. But he clearly saw his need. And the Lord told him, you will be with me in paradise. He understood that he needed God. He realized that Jesus is innocent. I'm guilty, and I need the Lord. John was hot toward the Lord and enjoyed his relationship of love with the Lord. He was hot, on fire for God. But Judas was lukewarm. Following Jesus enough to be considered a disciple, yet not giving his full heart to the Lord. And he sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That's what lukewarmness and trying to ride the middle does for us. We need to be hot in God. We need to have the zeal of the Lord. And deep down, there, there's no more miserable than, lukewarm, than a lukewarm Christian. There's nothing more miserable than that. They have too much of the world to be happy in Jesus, but too much of Jesus to be happy in the world. <laughs> that middle of the road, that lukewarmness, it's a miserable place. Deep down, it's a miserable place to be. I tell you what we need and the kingdom of God is for the people of God to get so on fire for God and let the power of prayer reverberate through our, our hearts, our minds, our souls. And when we pray, not just to pray to put in time and say, I pray, but to pray until we touch God and experience a word from the Lord and hear and, and move in His Spirit and walk in His Spirit. We, we need to know what the Lord is trying to to do in our lives. We need to pray until we break through. But the, the most miserable place is to be lukewarm. As pastor, I've tried to, uh, and I'm going to close here, but I've tried to counsel with people through the years. There's some people that are, they realize that they need God and they need help. And they're open to receive the word of God and they're open to receive counseling from a pastor or whatever. I just want to find the direction of the Lord for their lives. But there are times that I realize that I'm speaking to a iron brick wall or whatever, trying to break through this thing, but they don't really want it. There is a difference. They just don't want it. And I think that's where the state of being lukewarm is. Um, they're convinced that their way is okay and God's okay with it. No. The Lord wouldn't be speaking to the church of Laodicea if he was okay with it in this manner. He'd rather for us to be cold or hot. He'd prefer for us to be hot, but he didn't want us to be lukewarm because that's the place where we can't be reached, because it's all about self.
Amen? Any questions about anything? I know it's pretty heavy, Laodicea. It's a pretty heavy subject, but it's a subject we need to hear. Amen? We need to know this. So what do we do with our life now? Evaluate our lives. Find out where we're at. What level are we at? Hot, cold, lukewarm? Whatever level we're at, we need to try to get to that point where we're on fire for the Lord. We're full of zeal of God. And we have a breakthrough in our lives. I tell you, there's so many miracles God wants to do in our lives. We've got to have a breakthrough in our life. Where are we? So what we do when we find out where we're at, I think we know where we're at right now. But then we've got to do something about it. We've got to get as close to God as we can. We've got to increase our prayers. We've got to increase our time with Him and worship and relationship with Him. And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find so much, your life's going to become so much more happy. Uh, you're going to do so much more for God. The victory is going to be sweet. The peace is going to be wonderful. The, the, the feeling of that love and grace and mercy. The love and grace and mercy has always been there, but you're going to feel it firsthand when you get on, on fire for the Lord and you're walking with Him and you're, you're close to Him. There's nothing like it, but it's that lukewarm state, that cold state too, that's kind of hard to understand where we're at and what we're doing. But at least in the cold state, we realize we have a need and we need God. But the hot state is where God really wants us. Amen? Let's stand. So what do we do? What do we do from here? Evaluate our lives, where we're at, find out where we're at, and then we need to make the steps to get as close to God as we can get. And sometimes it takes us stepping over obstacles. Sometimes it takes us saying no to certain... <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Was that a Christian song? Okay. <laughs> Let's lift our hands and thank the Lord for what he's doing. God, we're grateful. We're grateful 